tonight we're here in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be studying just four verses today, and it will be verses 1 through 4. And if you've been following along in the book of Colossians, we know that the first half of the book is all about how and why Jesus Christ is sufficient alone for salvation and ultimately supreme over all things. Now, as we continue to study through the book, chapters 3 and 4 is going to be a lot of the practical, so what does this mean for our life? So let's pick it up here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and then I'll share a word of prayer and we'll study together. Sound great? All right, here we go. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's share a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that we get to gather here this evening to study your word. And Lord, we know by faith your word is living and active and it's true. Lord, you say that your word is a mirror into your heart, into our hearts. And so I pray that your word would read us this evening and that it would transform us into Christ's likeness. And Lord, we even pray a blessing over our groups as we discuss, Lord, may we be uh, articulating your goodness and your grace and even uh, working together as a community to see your kingdom come on here on earth as it is in heaven. Help us tonight, Lord, to hear your voice, to discern your will, and to be empowered to live for you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen, amen. amen. Well, tonight's message is titled, Saved, Seek, Set, and Secure. And those four words will help us lay out our time this evening before breaking up into our discussion groups and our circle groups. And so here we have Paul encouraging the church in Colossae that because Christ is supreme, Because Christ is sufficient alone for salvation, because he is for all things and of all things and all things in him were created, right, according to chapter 1, this is now your response on how to live for him. You see, I think he's reading the minds of the people that he was writing to that, okay, I don't have to keep the law. Okay, Christ has done it all, so then does it mean I can live loosely for myself? Does it mean I can dictate my own life because Christ says it is finished? And Paul writes, no, no, no. Because Christ says says it is finished, because Christ is who he is and what he's done is excellent and true, this is your appropriate response to all that he is and all that he has done. And he starts off this conversation with reminding them of who they are. They are saved. Number one, talking about their identity, they're saved. He says, if then... You were raised with Christ. Let's look at this phrase, if then. In the Greek language, it's not a conditional statement, but rather a matter of fact. He's actually saying, since you are raised with Christ, or because you're saved, in other words, you're supposed to seek the things which are above. But notice the past tense of this word raised. He says, since you were raised with Christ, an event that happened in the past, And we as believers in the church in Colossae, we are raised with Christ when when we lay our lives down in surrender to him. This is speaking about our salvation. And salvation is when we say, Christ, I am a sinner and I need a savior. 
I believe that you are the one and true God. Please come into my life. At that moment, when we lay our lives down and say, Lord, take control of me, we're then, what the scriptures called, raised with Christ. This is our new identity. We are saved from the wrath of God and the uh, tribulation to come, and we're seated and raised with Christ. And so how are we raised? By faith alone, in Christ alone. And Paul had mentioned this before in chapter 2. So if you turn with me to chapter 2, verse 12, at the end, he articulates this, that we're raised with Christ, how? By faith. And I just want to re-echo that because I know the church in Colossae, they weren't um, Jewish, you know, in their background. They were mostly Gentiles. And so, you know, they're trying to gravitate on how, how do I not live for the Lord? Is it, is it, is it through all those different things? And, and there was a lot of false teachers coming in to say that you need to do all these different things. But Paul reminds them here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, at the, at the, at the end it says this, um, in which you were also raised with him through how? Faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So by faith alone in Christ alone is how we are raised in Christ. And Paul brings a real spiritual reality, a truth that we all live in. There's two realities that are are existing at the same time, the spiritual reality and the physical reality. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, spiritually, we are raised with him, But physically, we have our feet here still on the earth. So there's two realities. We're raised with Christ, but also physically, we're here on the earth. Paul articulates it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. He says this, For our citizenship is in heaven. We're raised with Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. And so we live in this tension between the not yet and the already. We're already seated and raised with Christ, but it's not yet happening now. Now, there will be a day when those two things are married together, when we see Christ face to face, that those things will be a reality fully and truly. But right now, there's two things happening, the spiritual reality and the physical reality. So let's look at that other phrase. If then you were raised with Christ, what might it mean to be raised with Christ? Well, as we study the scriptures, we know that Christ was raised from the dead, And in his life, after he was raised from the dead, he was ministering to others. He was still preaching about the gospel of the kingdom. But for us, it it means that we're no longer under the dominion of sin and death. What does it mean for us to be raised with Christ? We're no longer under the dominion of sin and death. You know, before Christ, we had no choice but to sin. That was our natural tendency. We were slaves to our sin, the Bible says. But now that we're raised with Christ, we have a new identity. No longer... Am I a sinner? I am a saint, right? No longer am I lost, I am found. And, and what does it mean to be raised with Christ? It means that we're accepted because Christ is there, seated, seated at the right hand of the, of the Father in the throne of heaven. So we're accepted because we're in him. Not only that, but we're also valuable and we're precious to God. What does it mean for us to be raised with Christ? It also means that we are at rest with God. No longer does the Bible say that we're enemies of the cross of Christ, but now we're co-heirs of the kingdom of God together. 
It also means, since we're raised with Christ, that we have God-given authority to live for him and for his will to be accomplished here on earth through us. So we're raised with Christ. He says to the Colossians, if then you were raised with Christ, this is who you are. This is the spiritual reality of the truth of your new identity. This is what you're supposed to do. And I love the format of how these things flow. It's not that we're supposed to do all of these different things to now earn our identity. It's the other way around in Christianity. It's this. We have identity in Christ. We are valuable. We're precious. We're raised with Christ. Therefore, now we do. And he's going to articulate two commands that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to seek and we're supposed to set our minds. But our identities really help us to educate and inspire now our activity for Christ. Okay, so who we are in him now dictates what we do. So I'm reminded as I read these different things, and they're, they're pretty important and imperative commands, as we'll, as we'll look at. I'm reminded that these commands are given by a father who loves us. You know, sometimes people look at Christianity and say, oh, it's a bunch of rules and it's constricting and you can't live. But really, these commands of Christ are for love's sake. They're for our consideration. You see, when we're disobedient to the commands of Christ, this is where all the evil happens, right? But as we're obedient to the commands of Christ, this is where we find peace and joy, not only with him, but with others. Uh, But we also set ourselves up to receive the blessings of God because there's always blessings in obedience to Christ's commands. So let's look at the first command here. We talked about how we're saved, how we're raised with Christ. Because we're all raised with Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the first command is, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. This word seek is to try to find. It's to diligently seek information. It's to deeply desire and demand, uh, demand to obtain. It's interesting because it's written in the Greek in the present, active, and imperative voice. Now, some of you may not know what this means, so let me break it down for you. When a verb is written in the present, active, and imperative voice, it means this. You continually and actively do this, and it's not a command, Oh, sorry, it is a command, and it's not a suggestion. So in the Greek, this, this, this verse can be translated this. You continually and actively seek, desire, and obtain the things that are above. This is a command and not a suggestion. This is a command and not a suggestion. So really, this helps us in our Christianity how to respond rightly to who Christ is and what he has done. Are we to live for ourselves and seek our own kingdom? No. It is to seek the things which are above. And Paul writes with the understanding that we constantly live with two sets of desires that we seek. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17. Paul would write to the churches in the region of Galatia that we have the lust of the flesh and the spirit that war against one another. This is a good verse to have in mind. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 7, Paul says this, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things what you wish. And so he's writing with the understanding to the church in Colossians that there's a sinful nature that seeks its own desire, but then there's now our spiritual nature, the spirit who is inside of us, who now seeks that we would build his kingdom. And so Paul writes to the Colossians saying, don't seek your old desires, don't seek your carnal desires, seek Christ's desires, the things that are above. Where we once thought selfishly, now we're called to be self-sacrificial, Unto Jesus. And this seeking written in the present active and imperative voice reminds me that I don't accidentally seek the Lord, that I don't accidentally trip up and do a devotion, right? But that I need to have a plan and action in order to be obedient to the command of Christ. I'm reminded as I, as I read this in the present active voice, that I need to take personal responsibility and discipline to seek the things which are above. I acknowledge that my default nature, I confess, honest hour, is carnality. It's the me monster that wakes up every morning, right? And I, I need to say, no me monster, it's all about Christ, right? And I need to seek him. It doesn't happen naturally, but this is something that I have to choose daily, And as I was reflecting on this passage and allowing Christ to speak this to me, Christ revealed that I often allow convenience to dictate my obedience to Christ. And I think this is a warning that he gives, really, uh, the Spirit of God to me, maybe for us, that seeking God is never convenient. It might be easier in some seasons, but it's, it's not always convenient. And I've learned in my Christianity that convenience and the cross always fight against one another. It's not convenient for me to get up a little bit earlier in my day to seek the Lord in the Word and in prayer. It's not convenient for me to pause in my day and my activities to acknowledge that He is with me, that He is for me, and that I live for Him. It's not convenient that I, before I go to bed I need to surrender my life to the Lord once again in prayer and pray for the different things He's put in my heart. It's not convenient, but it is the call of Christ. And in that call of Christ, I do find full satisfaction. Again, that's the blessings of obedience walking in him. So number one, we're supposed to be raised with Christ. What does, that, what does that mean? That we're supposed to seek the things that are above. So we ask ourselves, what are the things that are above? And Paul gives us a hint. He, he completes a sentence, seek the things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So we look at where Christ is at, and he's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. And so we're supposed to seek the things which are of heavenly attributes. So righteousness is a heavenly attribute, right? Heaven is a place where righteousness flows and reigns. Peace is a place, uh, is, is, is one of heaven's attributes. The peace of God rules and reigns in heaven. The wisdom of God is a place, uh, is an attribute of heaven where the wisdom of God rules and reigns. So does justice and joy and love. So what does it mean to seek the things which are above? It means to seek out heaven's treasures. And what I love about this dual reality, the spiritual and the physical, is that we now can access a lot of the spiritual treasures in heaven here on earth, that we don't have to wait Tell heaven to experience God's righteousness, his peace, his wisdom, his justice, his joy, his love. We can access those things now. Now, one day when we see him face to face, 
right? The fullness of all those blessings will be a reality, but we still have the ability to experience God's righteousness, peace, wisdom, justice, joy, and love here on earth. That's what it is to seek those things. And it says that, I I just want to point out where, where Paul is at right now in his mind. He still has a big thought of who Christ is because he says this, seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And I love that description of Christ because it's a place of honor, power, authority, and rest. And I I love thinking those big thoughts about God because it really educates and inspires my obedience to him. We don't have a small God. No, we have a beautiful, awesome Jesus Christ who is in a place of honor, power, authority, and rest. So we're raised with Christ. We're supposed to seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of of the throne of God. Now we are to set our minds on the things above and not on the things of earth. So let's also look at this one too. So we're saved, we're seated, we're raised with Christ. Now we're seeking him. Now we're supposed to set our minds on the things above. This is also written in the present active and imperative voice in the Greek language. Again, so this reads, you continually and actively set your mind on things above. This is a command and not a suggestion. So what are we supposed to do at the revelation of who Christ is? We seek the things which are above, but then we don't just seek it, but we actively set our minds there. It's a place where we um, have to discipline ourselves to put our mindset in w- where Christ is, on the things above, not on things on the earth. And I love thinking about this um, uh, I was reading the commentary, he says this, to to set our minds on things above, or in other words, to be heavenly minded, we're supposed to be heavenly minded, it means to think on how to conform our everyday affections, attitudes, and actions to the image of Christ. And so what does it look like to seek the things which are above and to set our minds? To set our minds is to make a game plan on how we can conform our everyday affections attitudes, and actions to the image of Christ. So to be heavenly minded is to have the mind of Christ in regards to our affections. Where are my affections going? Maybe you can think of it this way. Where is my money being spent? To be heavenly minded, to set my mind on things above, is to have the mind of Christ in regard to my attitude. What is my attitude towards hard seasons? What is my attitude towards someone I disagree with or on a different political side with? What's my attitude towards someone that I think I'm better than? To set our mind on things above, to be heavenly minded is to have the mind of Christ in regards to my actions. And is what am I, is what am I doing reflecting Jesus Christ, his heart, his will, his kingdom? To seek the Lord, yeah, that's one thing. But now then we have to set, the, set our minds on things above. These commands go together and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're then being able to conform ourselves into the image of Christ. And just by way of encouragement, I know that it's important for us to realize, again, that we don't do these things to earn our identity. No, our identity is already secured in Christ. Therefore, we do these things. And so we can say we seek him because he first sought us. We can say this. We set our minds on him because he first set his mind on us. 
I'm so thankful that Christ initiated a relationship with me. It, it, it wasn't me that took the first step, but it was him that took all the steps to come down from heaven, right? To live the life of perfection and then to die the death that I deserved. So that just by simple faith, I could be in him and secured and saved forever. And so we seek him because he first sought us. We set our minds on him because he first set his mind on us. And get this, another benefit of setting our mind on things above is Christ's perfect peace. I love in Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, Isaiah writes, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, whose mind is set on you. In other words, who is heavenly minded. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. He's writing to the Colossians, and I know this is a lot of information to take in as you're first like reading it, right? Imagine you're a Colossian just reading this and hearing this. It's like, okay, I've got to do all these different things. And it's a long list, but the benefit outweighs the cost, really, in Christianity. Being with him is always worth the sacrifice. And so we seek him. We have perfect peace as we seek him. And the last word we want to talk about before we close in a time of application is that we're secure. That we're secure in Christ. He writes here in in verse 4, why do we do all these different things? Why do we set our minds on Christ, on the things above, not on things on the earth? Because we died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. Speaking of our security. Where is our life? It's hidden with Christ and God. So one of the reasons... Not only is Christ, not only is is because he's sufficient and and, um, supreme, but because he is everything and he is our life. And because our life is hidden with Christ and God, this is why we seek the things which are above. This is why we set our minds on him. I love that the, the truth is that we died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. What does that mean that we died? Well, we died to ownership of our own life right? The blood of Christ purchased us from the slave market of sin, and now we belong to his house. So we died. We died to the ownership, the right ownership of ourselves. We belong to Christ. So now it's no longer about living for ourselves or our own agendas or our own kingdoms. It's about living for his. It's about building his kingdom and living for his will and for his agenda and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean for our life to be hidden with Christ in God? It means that our lives are secure in him. Have you ever had that fear that you're not saved? You know, even though you've been serving the Lord, even though you've confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, and you're kind of like, am I even saved, right? I'm going through this thing. I'm, I'm doing these things. Am I even saved? I love coming back to this verse to remind myself that my life is secure in him. My life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ is our identity. Christ is my identity. His mission, his word, and his will is now to be my mission, my word, and my will. Because my life is hidden with him. And I love the benefit of our life being hidden with Christ and God. It's this, that in seeking Christ, I actually find myself. In seeking him, I, found out, I find out who I really am. There's, there's no need to invent or reinvent myself. 
It's as I seek him because he's my life and my life is hidden with Christ and God. Is as I seek him, I find out who I am. And so if I've ever had an identity crisis, I come back to Christ and he tells me who I am. The word of God tells me who I am. And I love this, closing out here, that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will then appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. And when, we, when, when he appears, we will also appear with him in glory. I'm reminded of this, that the end with him is the end goal. The end with him is the end goal. So there's going to be a day when Christ appears and when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And when that happens, on that day, we will also appear with him in glory. Not to be judged, but now to rule and reign with him. And so the benefit of putting ourselves on the sideline to now seek him and to set our minds on him is that we will appear with him in glory one day. And Christ is our life. So imagine you're a Colossian, right? And, you're, and, and the pastor at the time is reading this letter of Paul from you. Not only are you reminded that you're saved, but that you're raised with Christ, but now he's given you mission. He's given you purpose to seek the things which are above and to set your mind on things above. And so now there is motive, now there's passion, now there's purpose, And I love this, that all of that for the end goal is to appear with him in glory. So as we talk about some application before we go into our groups, number one, we're called to seek the Lord. Question, what are you seeking? Where are your eyes at? Where is your internet browser history at? What are you thinking about is what you're seeking We're called to set our mind on things above and not on the earth. What are things of the earth? Anything that is anti-Christ, right? Anything that is not on him, anything that is not of him. Where is our mind going? Again, where does the majority of our money go? Where are our affections leading towards? In my reflection in my own life in this verse, I, I have to ask myself, where, where, is my, where are my eyes going? Because where my eyes go, so goes my mind, so goes my heart. As we talk about application, it's not in the seeking and the setting that gives us the identity. It's the identity that we already have that fuels us continually seeking and continually setting our minds on him. So as we close in prayer... I want to ask us a question. Whose kingdom are we living for? If we're raised with Christ, we're now living for his kingdom, called to build his kingdom, and that comes by seeking him and setting our minds. So whose kingdom are you building? And then tomorrow, whose kingdom are you building? And then the next day, whose kingdom are you building? As we continue to study Colossians in the weeks to come, We'll, we'll look at the practical things about how the seeking and the setting of our minds should play out in our everyday interactions. And I'm excited to get there in two weeks. But until then, let's pray and let's break out into our circle groups. Lord, we are asking for wisdom as we get into our groups, as we discuss. Lord, we're asking for divine conversations to happen. We're asking, Lord, for confirmation of things that we've been pondering and praying about, Lord, that they would be confirmed as we, we listen to you, as we, um, as we listen to each other, as we discuss. 
I pray, Jesus, Lord, where we have uh, sought out our own kingdom, that we would confess and repent of that. Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ, Lord, in our actions, our affections, Lord, our attitudes. And we ask, Lord, that you would just be present in all things. So dismiss us by your grace into our groups and give us clarity and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.